to Off The Shelf Reviews. I sometimes find myself in a blind fury. And I'm Gary. And today we're going to review and discuss Blind Fury, which released in 1989, with a screenplay by Charles Robert Carner and directed by Philip Noyce. Ian, why don't you give us the synopsis? Well, the story follows Nick Parker, played by Rutger Hauer. He's an old Vietnam veteran, blinded in the war, who's been wandering the land looking for his old brother-in-arms. When he gets involved in a kidnapping attempt, he has to take under his wing a, a young boy and bring his family to safety. So this was a film that was kind of in development hell for quite some time. Right. It was one of the producers of the film that was really impressed with this Japanese saga of movies yeah. known as... The Satoshi series. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, specifically, it was Satoshi Challenged that he was um, impressed by. And the I think it's a series of like 25 movies with yeah. one actor playing yeah. the role in all of them who is a blind samurai. Yeah. And it was in particular Satoshi Challenged that he wanted to pretty much make an official remake of. Yeah. And, uh, you know, got, got the rights to make it. Um, but then it was still in development hell. I think it went through... Uh, three different studios, two different directors, seven years of development, and <laughs> 11 drafts of the script before yeah. they got where, where they were getting to. And that uh, they hired uh, Philip Noyce, who just previously, in the same year, had worked on Dead Calm as the director. Yeah. And after this one, would go on to do The Patriot Games in 1992 and The Bone Collector in yeah. 1999. And kind of has had this... Uh, a lot of television work, um, but, you know, some, some hits and misses uh, yeah. along the way. He did uh, Salt with Angelina Jolie. That yes, was all yeah. right. But he also did Slither with, uh, you know... Uh, Sharon Stone. Sharon Stone. Yeah, yeah. Now, this film, when it was released... It didn't do very well in America. It seemed like the studio kind of got a bit cold feet and, and it gave it a limited theatrical run. Yeah. And it didn't get its money back, despite Siskel and Ebert giving it the thumbs up. Yeah. Um, but it was only really on the, the home market when VHS's uh, rentals in the UK and in, in Europe and Australia. Um, and I think that's because Rutger Hauer at the time was quite famous for his Guinness advert that was showing over in the UK as well. <laughs> yeah. Now, of course, Rutger Hauer, most famously known, you know, icon from from Blade Runner, yeah, and uh, and then Lady Hawk in in nineteen eighty five, and then The Hitcher in eighty six, yeah, and then right after Blind Fury, the studio saw Blind Fury as another action vehicle for Rutger Hauer. He was going to be the next eighties nineties action star, <laughs> yeah. But, Every film that he was in after Blade Runner, it made less and less and less money. Yeah. And this film was meant to be the start of an entire 25 movie series starring Rutger Hauer. And of course, the film did so badly, <laughs> uh, it never got got any sequels. And uh, and Rutger Hauer, he'd still continue on into uh, The Salute of the Jugger yeah. in 89, Split Second in 92, Buffy the Vampire Slayer in 92, and then a bunch of middling stuff before hobo with a shotgun in 2011 <laughs> yeah. uh but you know the the man has had such a fantastic career and honestly I, I grew up watching blind fury and it has always remained in my memory as one of his greats i had never seen this movie up to this point like i i think i've seen the poster people had talked about it as i'd grown up 
but you know nobody nobody had it on dvd nobody owned it nobody could like i think you said you had it on vhs but i didn't know you when you had it on vhs why haven't i got the vhs um but you know this is Rutger Hoyer, you know, this is Mr. Blade Runner. I mean, this is fucking Salute of the Jugger, people. Like, I just, like, if you haven't seen that review, go back and watch it because I'm about to do here the same thing I did there and the same thing I did in Hobo and the same thing I did in Blade Runner, which is just marvel at this man who can tell this tale of this blind wanderer, right. you know? Like you said, based on the Zatochi films, like, I love that kind of fucking cinema and, like... I must have spent like three hours on Wikipedia last night just reading the plot lines for all these movies about this blind samurai walking around, people fucking doing shit to him and him taking him out. And this movie's no different, but it, well, it is different as well because like you get the Vietnam War set up and there's just, you know, just a uh, radio playing over, explosions. Uh, and I, I kind of immediately could tell from like a budget perspective that this was, it was kind of thrown together. And there's a couple of sequences that I don't think, like there's a sequence at the end, I will say later on, you know, which I'm like, what the hell happened there? But to start here, we see all these dead bodies and the radio going, is there any survivors? You know, we're looking for, you know, anybody from the fire base. And we cut to Rukahoya wandering through the swamp. Like, I don't really think it was Vietnam. He's a, you know, it's probably, <laughs> Missouri or something, but he's he's blinded and he's telling me this he's been blinded from this battle He's only armed with his knife left You know, he's making his way for his the water and it's just this whole new kind of sense and and that's kind of what I went with with this film I'm like, you know what? I'm just with you, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then he, uh, he very quickly gets captured tied up in this net <laughs> a net and in the uh, water, like and then, you know, they, they, they take him in. They don't just kill him, the, the Viet Cong, I guess. They, they they take him in. They heal his wounds, well, they try to, you know, they patch up his eyes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they, they realize he's blind. Um, and then I guess they've kind of, they've got a samurai master here. Uh, so, uh, I'm not saying samurai. No. He's very he's very well trained in sword play. Well, he, that's a machete. Yeah, he's got a machete there. And he, he immediately kind of starts to train, you know, Nick in the art of using sound to yeah. take in. And Nick's a quick learner, so he's like, oh, snake, oh, hitting thing over there. And then, it, yeah, the montage. It's a montage. It's an 80s movie. It's a yeah. montage. It's telling us that he got trained by this master. And I, I love the bit where he was stood behind him. Yeah. And the two of them were kind of moving synchronized. I'm like, you know, what else are you going to do in this world Aye. well he soon graduates when he's able to slice the fruit in in two or yes. in four <laughs> and the whole the whole the whole village is celebrating him and celebrating him i was like you know the makeup on him is pretty good the yes. hair the beard yeah uh, but then it cuts i think it's like 20 years later <laughs> and, he, and he's back in america and he's just wandering wandering the streets you know he's uh, he's not a hobo but I don't think he has a home. He doesn't. He's only got the clothes on his back, you know. But we already get the comedy beats when he's, you know, he's walking and he taps his cane yeah. on the alligator, and he's just like, "Oh, good doggy," you know. Keeps on walking. And you're like, "Okay, so we know this is a drama. It's an action movie, but it's definitely also a comedy." <laughs> nice doggy. 
the music is also pretty much illustrating that to you with its kind of very 80s upbeat kind of melody <laughs> well that was that was the music at the time and you know it just kind of settles us settles us it just kind of settles us in yeah. to you know just his character and knowing immediately like he's a badass well, I also think he's he he definitely gives off the you know the presence of a badass, especially after we've seen the training montage at the beginning. Uh, but he, he ends up going into this diner and ordering a taco, and uh, and of course everyone in there, you know, th there's a lot of um, a lot of uh, ridiculing handicapped people in the film. It was the '80s, but it also helps you. It it clearly then sets up who the villains are or the antagonists are when they you know would. Well, they, I mean, like I said, I read some of the plot and I can kind of imagine that they did the same thing in the Zatoichi movies where, yeah. you know, a lot of people, a lot of people look at him and just think he's a blind man. Um, so they underestimate him. Yeah. And this sequence, like, like I, I, I've seen the sequence obviously on, on YouTube, things like that, but it, it just plays out so well of just how tough he is because he takes the hot sauce, you know, he's pretty mild. He mocks the gang leader. And then when the gang leader tries to walk away and he grabs the woman's purse, he mocks him even more. And the guy pulls out that tiny little knife. And I'm like, man, like, like let's see how this goes. And he, t he takes them all out with his cane, but he makes it look accidental. And I... I know what people will say, well, it's a cheese fest and things like that. But if you imagine like he hasn't taken his sword out yet, <laughs> that means these people got off lightly. That's how I take this from this movie. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. And so we find out that he's actually trying to uh, to to go and find his buddy from from Vietnam, who yeah. he knows is alive and settled down with a family somewhere. And uh, and it's because he knows his friend is probably feeling the guilt of abandoning him. And we have these flashbacks every so often to to set the picture as to what actually happened. And his friend was supposed to cover him, but then the enemy reinforcements arrived. And so he bailed out and left Nick out there. Yeah. And uh, so he's feeling the guilt for leaving his friend out there to die. And Nick also knows because of that, he just wants to go there and go, look, I'm alive. It's fine. We're okay. And uh, he ends up going to that, that person's house. It's played by Terence O'Quinn. Mm. Although, you know, we know him today as Terry O'Quinn. <laughs> um, but uh, he's not home. Meg Foster's in instead. Oh, man. <laughs> like, as soon as I saw Meg Foster on the list, I'm like, I'm up. Okay, right, you got Rukuhara, you got Meg Foster. Like, and when they're sat together, I never noticed, like, their eyes are very identical. And I'm like, I could get lost in those eyes. For sure, but we, we, we get the, the story, the backstory that Frank has kind of, well, he's got a gambling habit. And we've already seen the clip where he's he's been hanging off the side of a building by the, the, the gang boss in Reno, Nevada, uh, McCready. Um, and he's got his, obviously, bodyguard, Randall Cobb, who plays Slag. Like, he just looks a meathead. And they are convincing Terry O'Quinn, look... You owe us shit tons of money. And Terry's like, no, you cheated me. And they're like, no, you're going to make drugs for us. The most purest, best drugs in the whole world. Ha ha ha. Or we're going to kill your family. And so then when we, obviously, when we get Nick meeting up with the family, we're just kind of getting getting settled in. And I was still ready to like, oh, this is going to be quite a nice little adventure story. I can understand he's got to get with the boy. Played by Brandon Cole, uh, who plays Billy. You know, they're, they're home. And Slag turns up with two cops. 
yeah. pretending to be cops looking for Billy. And I'm like, whoa, kind of like this is a bit, this is a bit intense already. And then blam, Meg Foster's dead. I'm like, no, damn. <laughs> and so, you know, this is our first real now action scene where, yeah. uh, where Nick gets out of his sword and he kills the, the black cop first. <laughs> Takes and that I, hand off, man. That oh was... yeah, that, I mean, yeah, he, he cuts the guy's hand off. He ends up slicing um, uh, Rand, Randall Tex Cobb. Yeah, um, but I was like, yeah, it's a it, this film got an eighteen rating, um, and although it, it's fairly bloodless, I mean, like the hand gets cut off, but there's no blood. I, but but you, know? I, you know, nowadays, yeah. it's it's you know nothing. But back in eighty nine, you know, going oh yeah, kids, watch this movie about a blind samurai master. Oh my god, he's just cut a guy's hand off. I say like. Deal, you know? yeah, yeah. I, I kind of think the film maybe got the higher rating, maybe more for the the swearing. But then again, yeah, the blades, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. swearing is damn good. <laughs> but like, I did love the like. It kind of just settled you into the fact that he uses sound to obviously find his enemies, and obviously Rutger is not really blind, and it is just playing onto that. But he plays that very well, you know. He never looks any of the other characters in the eyes. Yeah. He's always looking off and you know but the thing is he's also so very expressive in his face. Rooker Howard just has that face that you can just emote uh, uh, with very yeah. little exactly what, what he's thinking or, or doing and he and he does it very well and he did have like seven weeks of training with a blind person nice. uh, to learn his handicap so that he could deliver the role well. Uh, and I think it comes across in incredibly, incredibly well researched and portrayed. And so even in the action scenes, the choreography here is not the best. Like, <laughs> yeah. you're just like, man, how can these buffoons with guns not kill a blind man with a sword? Because he's a fucking, fucking blind yes. ma blade master, man. <laughs> and so uh, Randall ends up jumping through the window to <laughs> yeah. escape. He's like, ah, oh, with bullets! And he's gone. <laughs> yeah. I did better math. And ain't gonna stop no bullet. And uh, and sadly, you know, Meg Foster di dies in Nick's arms, and yeah. her last wish is just like, look after the boy. <laughs> I was quite sad. I mean, and then obviously, Billy being picked up by Nick because Billy had been knocked out during the fight, um, and so Nick picks him up and decides that he's gonna like he's gonna search for Frank, but he he doesn't really know. But he kind of like I think Meg Foster's told him like he's down at the gambling tables, which are quite close, and so Nick heads off. And we, we, we keep uh, cutting back to uh, Frank being held hostage and he's got this friend, Annie, played by Lisa Blunt, um, who was Catherine from Prince of Darkness. I mean, oh, I was just, I, as soon as I saw her with the blonde hair and I'm like, I know your face. And then when I looked at the list, saw her name, saw the film, I was like, I'm in love again. And you've, you've got Meg Foster and the girl from fucking Prince of Darkness. Oh my God, movie. This is, where were you all my life? You know? Um, but we then got the build-up relationship between Billy and Nick where, you know, it's new for Nick to have a companion. He's always walked on his own and he's pretty much kidnapped this child. And this child <laughs> is a dick. It's, it's like, from the moment he first meets him when he's like eh, in the blind man's <laughs> face, you know, and he gets caught out for it. And they get to, they they you get to the the bus stop, you know, and they they go inside, and then he's trying to explain to him like, no, you can't go home, you know, mum's dead. Your mum's dead. I'm gonna take you take you to your dad, and uh, and and of course it's pissing down with rain, and he's walking back to the bus, and Rukahawa slips in in the in the water and goes over, and he just laughs at him. I'm like, you little shit. <laughs> but it gets worse. 
you know, just as he, he well, I mean, the kid slips over as well, so Karma, uh, yeah, Karma takes say, his ass Karma out too. Karma takes his ass. <laughs> uh, but he's like, here, I, I, in the store, they gave me some candy, <laughs> and he puts it in his mouth. Oh, and the sound effect is great because you literally feels like he's broken like six of his teeth. Yeah, biting down on, on it. the stone. Yeah, this. this oh, he man. spits it back in the kid's face. <laughs> It was it was nice and I mean I like I said at this point in the movie I I did feel you know budget wise it does feel a bit rushed to just keep the pacing going but at the same time I'm 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 in love with Nick's character of being this blade master and him going and hunting down the bad guys you know Terry O'Quinn is not getting as much screen time but I know he's the smart you know guy making the making the drugs and you know, McCready, I don't get, you don't get a lot of scenes with McCready until towards the end, but you're like, yeah, he's totally the bad guy. When, when Tex Cobb turns up again with the fucking cornfield gunman, <laughs> I was like, you got the redneck, he's got the shotgun slung over his shoulder, <laughs> just, just eating, eating his popcorn. <laughs> Yeah, they're just like, how How did you end up hiring these buffoons? Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. One of my favorite, favorite aspects of this film is all of the villains. Because they are oh, all yeah. straight out of a cartoon. Yes. They really are. And they, I mean, sometimes they kill each other. There's <laughs> yeah. a scene where he steps out of the field and he's like, shoot! And he steps <laughs> back. <laughs> and like, what is this? So it's amazing because it immediately puts, like, like, because the little boys escaped and Nick's stuck in the cornfield... You know, they think they've got the advantage, but this guy fought in Vietnam and he's a blind man with a sword. He's just going to be ninjaing through this cornfield and he manages to take each one of them out. He even gets to, to uh, Slag and takes him out and rescues Billy again. But when you think Slag is down, oh no, he's wearing body armor. Fuck yeah, man. <laughs> We've also got the thunder and lightning sound <laughs> yeah. effect. He's doing the villain laugh. We're like, yeah. Billy and Nick, obviously, they, they kind of bond over, like, the um, camping sequence as well, where, the, you know, Billy kind of closes his eyes to start listening to the rest of the world and kind of, you know, relax himself with everything that's going on. And when they finally get to Frank's house, Annie is there to greet them, and then they're immediately captured. But they're captured by the Pike brothers. <laughs> These are my favourite team. Tector and Lyo. Now, I was so impressed by these two guys, I had to immediately research them. And, I mean, Tector, played by Rick Overton, was one of the brownies from Willow. Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> and then you've got Nick Cassavetes, who plays Lyo. I mean, he's the fucking guy from Face Off. He's the guy from The Wraith, you know. And the two of them are just such buffoons. And I, I like... Annie is is a waitress, isn't she? And they they're basically using her to get to Frank. Yeah. And now they're using her to get to Nick and the boy. And they're so excited that they've captured this blind master. But obviously, it's that's not going to stop Nick. He's a fucking badass. He he teaches Billy how to get the ropes out, which is just that's a really good idea. If you ever tie behind, you know, bring your arms forward and just try and turn them. You know, you remember that. That's how the ninjas do it. <laughs> And they set fire to it. And they've also... He gets his sword thrown out the window. Yeah. And, and he tells him to start counting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
So yeah, they end up starting a fire in the back, and uh, they they pull over the truck. They open up the back, and he gets the fire extinguisher into his face. They get knocked <laughs> out, and then they're on the run, and they end up taking over the van to yeah. escape. They end up going back to pick up the sword, but then the, you know the, those two buffoons end up starting a whole chase, and it turns out that we've got Nick Rukahawa, blind man, driving this yeah. van. Through the busy streets. And <laughs> well, it's... Well, well, Billy's navigating because Annie can't see either because of her glasses. Oh, it's amazing. Is that awesome moment where the guy's like, what's wrong with you driving? you blind? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, what's your problem? Yeah. <laughs> it's just ultimate 80s cheese. You're just... It's the moment where the other two, they end up stealing a car from two old ladies. <laughs> with guns. And they start shooting at him. And he's like, yeah, that's why I'll vote for gun control. Yeah. <laughs> 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 just the line was brilliant some i will oh. say some of the jokes you know I, I don't know whether it's some of the editing but it's like they didn't it's like i don't know whether they landed the timing of the punchline or the editing just kind of ruined the joke yes or it, it didn't help it that's exactly for me there were just some moments where it the film just felt like it had been cut too soon or it was missing an extra scene to explain that next bit but it like, like I said, I, it was only at the end I really noticed that everything else leading up, this whole chase sequence, they managed to get rid of the, the two brothers, they crash, and then they're like, oh, you know, is there any tunnels in the city? And it's like, no tunnels! And you're almost hidden in a wall, and they stop, and I'm like, oh, okay, right. But Nick's just like, I've got to go rescue Frank, so I'm going to head to the casino on my own. Billy, stay here with the girls, because Annie stays with a friend. And Nick heads into the casino, <laughs> like, like I by this point in the movie, I was just like, he might as well just walk up and kill those two bodyguards. But that's not Nick's way. He has to be subtle. And so when he notices McCready and his buddy Cobb are, are going to the elevator, McCready's talking about how he's heading up to the snow chalet well, because he's setting up the major drug deal so that he can sell Frank's drugs. It's essentially a supervillain with a castle on a mountain, <laughs> yes! James Bond style. Yes, yes. <laughs> And, and his buddy Cobb, you know, he's going to go upstairs into his, his office and he's going to eat a chicken and some chocolate pudding and he's going to leave these two massive bodyguards by the door, even putting a fucking numerical code. How did Nick know, remember the numerical code? Well, he, he heard the beep boops. And... It, it doesn't make any other noise. It just goes beep, 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 beep. But but Nick's like, hmm, I need to distract these two guards. So he goes over to the betting table. Um, I think, it, is it blackjack or roulette? I, I, I don't yeah. bet myself, but you roulette, know, it's, yeah. it's, the, it's the ball in the round thing. And uh, Nick starts winning and it's all looking good because he can hear where the ball's going to land. <laughs> well, it turns out, yeah, the the the, the casino are, are are scamming and cheating because they've got magnets and uh, yeah. receiver data things, and and so he can hear that. He, yeah, he hears the change of the ball when the when the guy comes over because the house wants the money back. He hears the beep beep of the machine, and he, I mean, his sword work is so good. When you when you really look at it, it's not it's not tight. Rutger Hauer is not fucking. You know, Neo on strings, leaping up and moving in bullet time. I mean, was it McCready even says it once? <laughs> get me Bruce Lee. But Bruce Lee's dead. Well, get me Bruce Lee's brother. I'm like, yeah, that's what we've got here. <laughs> this is Bruce Lee's brother. <laughs> 
And Nick leaps up onto the table and he slices the guy's shirt and it opens the pocket and he literally just starts a riot. Because everyone's like, <laughs> Look at what they've done! They're cheating us! They deserve money! <laughs> so he ends up running away. He ends up... Um, sp- does he break the door or he breaks no, the, he the receiver? Used, he remembers the number, so he beep beep boops his way Oh no, it's later elevator. on. He, he, he t- cuts the handle off the door so he can That's escape. Right. Yeah, He yeah. gets into the elevator. And then the brothers, the, the, the Pike brothers have turned up and they get the bodyguard to come with them into the other elevator and the elevator goes down to the basement because there's a joke that they hit the buttons too early which I was like duh <laughs> um, but when they finally get up to the top he 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 jams his sword into the numerical sequence because he's already taken out the two giant uh, two giant bodyguards that are up there as well Yeah, you know uh, like he is amazing he walks into the office with Cobb and he's just like where's Frank and Cobb tries to pull out a gun, and Nick is so fast, he just slices his eyebrows off. His <laughs> eyebrows just, whoosh, like, brilliant. Bruce Lee's brother, man. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, Nick does eventually catch up with Frank, and he, they have the whole reconciliation, you know, and then he's like, what the hell have you gotten yourself into now? I'm going to help you, basically. And, uh, and it all leads, basically, to... Uh, to them having to go to that ski resort thing. Well, yeah, to he... go and infiltrate this 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 overlord's mansion. Well, they they set fire to the they set fire to the lab, and then when they head back to where they've left Billy and Annie, with um her friend, her friend is dead, and they realise it's been they've slagged, been captured, yeah, has taken them, and and McCready's just like, look, come up to my <laughs> fucking. I didn't realise it was a giant hideout. I was just like, oh, they're in Aspen. <laughs> like I didn't know where they were. One minute they were in Vietnam, next minute they were in kind of. Miami, Florida, Frank, think, yeah. Mexico, you know, and then they're in fucking mountain range and they're going up there and Frank's, they have this lovely buddy-buddy moment here, which is kind of ruined in a minute. <laughs> like They have this beautiful buddy-buddy where Rooker Howard is just like, look, Terry O'Quinn, I know you're a good actor, but you're not as good as me. And Terry's like, I know, but I've made some Molotovs, so maybe we can kind of get together. And he forgives him for leaving him because I... Like, those shots with the flashbacks, those were so low budget. But this shows what you can do with low budget. Eight or nine guys in a bunker make it look like a fire base has been attacked and then just have Terry O'Quinn run off into some flashing lights. Yeah, yeah. Leaving his buddy behind who gets blinded because you saw it at the beginning of the movie. The shootout in that fucking elevator, man. Uh, no. <laughs> I was just like, I was like, how, how many, how, how, how many weeks ago did Predator come out before this film? I was, like, I was only a couple of years because it is just a bunch of dudes firing guns into some metal. It's like just <laughs> replace the trees now with this with the, the ski elevator. It's, just, it's like the whole lineup is everybody that Nick has fucking pissed off in the yeah. last hour all stood there with guns. It's they, literally like. It's almost a minute of non-stop gunfire before they open up the doors and go, they're not in here. <laughs> yeah, they, they went for a hatch in the ground. I was like, wait a minute. Wait, 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 what? <laughs> well, they have those little maintenance hatches. I've seen them. They're, they're like, but it's Nick. He wasn't going to die in there. But yeah. But th- this moment, yeah, this is the this is the kind of weird turning point because, you know, they get in the corridor and they, they're immediately uh, surrounded again by the guys shooting at them. And... Nick and Frank are separated, and then Frank just kind of runs off. Yep, he bails on his friend again. But then I'm like, did he, or did he try to get into a better position? But it does leave Nick in this terrible situation. I mean, the Pike brothers killed themselves. Oh, yeah. Which was quite sad. (laughs) Well, I mean, the the ones in the cornfield were killing themselves as well. So killing each other. The Pike brothers. (laughs) Shoot him! Okay! No! 
And and Nick has to climb, you know, he has to climb his way out. He can't see where he's going. The, the whole dance floor movement where he's oh, he ends up on all the instruments, musical instruments. He's, he's falling on top of the, the microphone. microphone yeah. and the sounds deafening him. I was like, oh my god, this is this is the turning point for the hero. I like I said, it's it's eighties cheese, so I knew immediately what was going to be coming next. But I didn't care because. I needed Nick to show me that there was another way. And when all the gunmen come in, they surround him like, ready? And Terry O'Quinn turns the lights off and he starts throwing flashbang bombs and his little Molotovs. And Nick just goes mad with that sword. Yeah. Kill Bill, eat your heart out. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> But it was, I mean, it was just dead, dead, guy dead, guy dead. I'm just like, this yeah. is just brilliant. I, I even enjoyed Cobbs where he got it to the nuts. Yeah, yeah, he just sliced, sliced right up. And right he takes up. his hat off as he's going down. Oh, man. Now, again, I'd say it's, it's a very bloodless movie. The only thing yeah. that's bleeding is the sword. <laughs> you know, there's just no blood anywhere. I'm like, it's very clean. But uh, it, it, it's a cool, a cool sequence. Now, um, that there was all pretty much pretty much the end of the film originally. Right. Um, but they, they did decide that they needed something a little bit extra for this ending. Yeah. And yeah. so they, they ended up hiring Sho Kasugi to play this unknown assassin. You know, the <laughs> moment he walks in, you get this gong sound. I'm like, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. This end sequence, I was, I was like, there's some things missing because... Like, McCready's been setting up this drug deal, this drug deal, this drug deal, and then the guy just walks off, and Slag's like, I'll take care of it, and he just walks off. And I'm like, what? And then when we get this assassin sequence, like, it's it's well done well. I, I thought so. It's part, Like, it, it shows, because Rutger Hauer, for the most part, is just flailing a sword around and killing people, but he's not actually had a fight yeah. with the swords. And so, for me, it's, it, it's, it's one of my favourite scenes in the film, because it really showcased that... You know, he did this training with the sword, in, and it actually shows. I thought the choreography was pretty decent. Well, it's definitely coming across from the assassin master, who's he he leads the fight, but you just know he's gonna, he, you know he's gonna go down, but he electrocuted, like yeah, in the bathtub or the sauna. Like flashback to the beginning of the movie where he had to slice the the pineapple off, yeah. and this is the same thing. But like, Slag comes back in. And shoots Nick, and we're like, holy shit. And Terry O'Quinn is fighting McCready at this point over the shotgun. And I'm like, okay, that's going to go down. But Nick manages to disable Slag. Like, Robocop has nothing on this ending. Neither does Masters of the Universe. Like, he 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 takes him out, knocks him out the window, and slices him so that the body falls in half. It's like Darth Maul. Before Darth Maul, it just falls <laughs> apart. I'm like, that's so satisfying. Yes. This bad guy is... Done. <laughs> but you don't see what happens to McCready. It 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 literally after Slag dies, it fades to when they're getting on the bus. And I was like, so did McCready get arrested? Did he get shot? He must have killed him. Well, I just, I, that's what I assume. But like, that's what I meant by the editing. Like we said, it just felt maybe they took too much out to not explain just to keep the smoothness of the movie they we didn't need to see mccready taken out after we'd seen slag taken out after we'd seen the assassin taken out where it's just a given that he's been taken out and this ending kind of was a bit sad for me because i did want 
Blind Fury 2, Blind Fury 3, where him and Billy, like, I don't know, go to a theme park and there's terrorists or there was a fucking, they're on a plane and there's fucking snakes and Nick just has to, but he doesn't, he, they're getting ready to get on the bus and he drops his ticket. Yep. And Billy's just like, no, Uncle Nick, I need you. And Uncle Nick's like, I, you just, I'm very fond of you, but you need to be with your father. I'm sorry. I'm a. I'm walking down the I'm road. I'm the lone gunman, you know, yeah. out on the west. I'm the lone samurai. No, hobo. And I have to, yep, <laughs> and I have to go my own way. Yeah, just got to. Um, but uh, it does harken back to a scene earlier in the film where uh, I think the kid's crying, and he uh, and Nick explains like because of his blindness, because of the damage to his tear ducts, yes, he can yeah. cry. Yeah, real and, men uh, cry, that's what he says. So I was yeah. like, yeah, man. And, uh, and so we see the sequence where he's gone down underneath the bridge and the kid has thrown this dinosaur, Yeah, uh, you know, toy that he's had. And he doesn't hear it hit the ground. That's because Nick's managed to catch it out of the air. And he turns to walk away again and we can see that he's crying. Yeah. And it's just like, so he's, he's you know, it, it tells you everything. And of course, yeah, walking off down the long road, you know, to, away from us, it it, it leaves. It, it's that typical Western ending, and uh, East, it works. Western Eastern ending. I mean, yeah, the, yeah it works. Like in the original, he walks off and makes twenty four extra movies. Yes. You know, yeah. <laughs> well, what were your favourite scenes from Blind Fury? Oh man, I just like so many. Like the diner was amazing the cornfield was amazing the battle sequence with tex cobb was just amazing like i i know it seems i know it seems silly sometimes when people say like you you like this movie but you didn't like this movie it's a state of mind it's a place where you are and when you're in a mood for a rutger Hauer movie where he's got a sword and you're after and you, you love blind swordsmen just wandering the land fucking taking out bad guys everything in this movie was just top notch one of my all-time favourite sequences is going to be the elevator sequence with the Pike Brothers, where one of them goes shit, and one of them goes fuck, and then the both of them go shit, shit fuck. fuck. Shit fuck. Shit fuck. Yes, that was the most quotable line in the movie for young me and my brother growing up. It's amazing. It's just, yeah, Meg Foster, beautiful. Annie, beautiful. The car chasing sequence, just, uh, you know, I suppose, like I said, the only thing that throws me off is I don't know what happens to McCready at the end, but it's it's taken out by an assassin who falls in the hot tub and Tex Cobb getting sliced in half. Gary? Hell yeah, yeah. I, I love the training montage at yeah. the beginning. I love the uh, the hot sauce when he turns <laughs> yeah. to him and says, if you got something a little bit more macho? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I really, really liked the blind driving scene. Uh, I'm going to get my license back. <laughs> it's just so stupid, but it works. It really, really does. I love the scene where he cuts off his eyebrows, the shit fuck scene in the elevator, uh, the casino being rigged, uh, the final fight sequence with the assassin, um, uh, the spitting the candy back into the kid's face. <laughs> Like there are so so many great moments in the film. It's literally hard to keep up with all of them. Ian, do you recommend Blind Fury? I totally recommend Blind Fury, and I also recommend that this movie deserves not only remakes but sequels. It just needs to be just done. Different people need to play this character of the swordsman. Nick is just the badass. I mean, nobody would. I don't think anybody would ever top Rutger Hoyer, but they would have that to to go by because he is just so good he, he make it's like a warm blanket you know i i know i'm kind of biased towards meg foster and i'm kind of biased to to annie as well because 
I do love the ladies, but it's just the action sequences are great. It's a total 80s cheese fest. I mean, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going to be recommending Blind Fury. It's a classic, a Rutger Hauer movie, you know, with the right level of action, comedy and drama. I, I am very biased in my review here, as this was a must-watch in the 90s, one of my favourites, and a film I've never forgotten about. The main reason to watch this is for Rutger Hauer. It's probably his best action role, and he's incredibly convincing as a blind man. He shows a great range of emotion during the story, delivers well with the swordplay, and cracking one-liners and jokes, as well as, you know, along with the greats from that era. The supporting cast are all serviceable, but the villains especially are memorable. Mostly cartoonish, completely buffoonish, while still remaining threatening. The score and sound effects feel a little bit dated, but still evoke the right feel, often comically. Uh, and it's also got a rushed pace at 85 minutes, but it doesn't feel lacking uh, or without substance. And it has a satisfying conclusion. The 18 rating seems a bit high as it's a fairly bloodless but contains a few severed limbs and yeah. mostly bad language. But there's no sexy stuff. <laughs> no sexy stuff. It's almost a kid's movie and well for me it was and I'll always treasure this often forgotten and overlooked classic. Give it a go, you never know. <laughs> Thanks for watching Off The Shelf Reviews. Mm -hmm.